One of the greatest and most verifiable promises in the Bible is in John 16, Jesus said, in this life, in this world, you will have trouble. How many of you can testify to the truth of that statement, just real quick? Yeah. Um, it's a really cool verse because it's really kind of got two promises in one verse. The first promise is, in this life, we'll have trouble. The second promise is, but we can take heart. We can be of good cheer. We can be encouraged because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And like you, I, I love that last part. Take heart. Don't worry. Be encouraged because I've overcome the world. And it's awesome for us to know that Jesus has overcome the world. And in the Bible and even in our own lives, we've seen him answer prayers and we've seen him heal broken bodies and redeem lost people and reconcile relationships and change circumstances. He even killed death and made it possible for us to have eternal life with him. So because of him, we know that we can come boldly before a God who's not contained by what's possible or by what's impossible. A God that loves us completely a God that cares about our circumstances and a God that can do something about our circumstances. And we see proof of that in the New Testament with Jesus as he's healing people and he's raising the dead and he's casting out demons. He helps some fishermen succeed at their jobs. He feeds people when they're hungry. He cares about what we're going through and he can do something about it and he has the power to do even crazy, ridiculous miracles when we ask him, and sometimes he does. Amen? And sometimes he doesn't. Amen? There's an old saying that God always answers prayer, right? And sometimes the answer is yes, and that's awesome. And sometimes the answer is no, and that's really hard. And sometimes we don't even get to know what the answer is. And that's really hard. But we shouldn't be too surprised because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And he was not talking about, when he said trouble, he's not referring to cutting yourself shaving. He's not talking about your favorite TV show getting canceled. He's not talking about your property taxes going up. When Jesus originally said this thing about in this world you're gonna have trouble, he was talking to a group of guys that historically we know were tortured and imprisoned and killed for their faith. So when he said they would have trouble, he wasn't talking about like slow internet service. He's talking about real trouble. And so today we wanna talk about real trouble. And I know a lot of you guys well enough to know that a lot of you are experiencing real trouble right now uh, in your health or in your relationships or in marriages or in your families. A lot of you are dealing with loss and betrayal. I know a lot of you are dealing with your kids that you've raised them to follow Jesus and you spent your whole life pouring Jesus into them and now they've grown up and it seems like they're rejecting him and that's trouble. That's real trouble. And you've cried. Till you're just out of tears. 
And you've spent many nights upset and worried and thinking and just praying till your knees are worn out. And we're just left asking this really hard question, why? You know, why all the trouble? And the truth is, we live in an in-between world. We live in between the perfection of Eden in Genesis and the perfection of his kingdom come in Revelation. The world was perfect in the beginning and the world will be perfect again in the end. But right now, in the in-between, in this world, we have trouble for, for lots of reasons. And sometimes our trouble, honestly, I believe is satanic attacks. No kidding, I think that's a real thing. The Bible tells us that Satan is like a lion just going about just seeing who he can eat up. And he's not weak. He's powerful. In fact, the Bible calls him the prince of this world. Sometimes our trouble really is an attack from our enemy. Um, Sometimes our trouble is really just the consequences of bad choices that we've made. Sometimes our trouble is the consequences of bad choice that other people have made. I gotta tell you, when I get to heaven, I gotta talk to God about this free will deal, man. It's just so much of our trouble is just fallout from, from other people's bad choices. Some of our trouble, I think, is God's plan. Sometimes I think God sends trouble to us to, to grow us or to change us or to draw us closer to him. We're gonna look at a story in the Bible today where God clearly sent his people into trouble. So sometimes it's satanic attacks. Sometimes it's just our own choices or other people's choices. Sometimes I think it's God's plan. I don't understand that very much. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that as we look at the world right now, it's like we're looking through a messed up mirror. You know, everything's upside down and backwards and distorted and out of focus and nothing makes sense. Someday it'll make sense. But right now it's hard for us to see why God would have it in his plan for us to have trouble. And then, you know, sometimes I think our trouble, even the really bad stuff, is really just, we just, we live in a broken world. And it's full of broken people. And in this world, we have trouble. So, today's not about um, giving up on your miracle um, by any stretch, but by any definition, right? By the meaning of the word, a miracle is uncommon, right? By definition, a miracle is not the norm. Miracles aren't natural. They're supernatural. The good news is we know a supernatural God, and he can, and he still does do miracles. So we have hope, and we should, hope, we should hold on to that hope. Maybe you've been praying for a healing, and it's just about to happen, or maybe you've been praying for a relationship that God is just about to fix. And you might be praying for a job or a circumstance or a friend or a pregnancy and your miracle's just around the corner. You know, maybe, maybe your miracle's already happened and you just don't know about it yet. I've talked to so many people lately that are dealing this issue of, of prodigal kids and grandkids and people that they love and it's like, how could they turn away from Jesus if it's like they've rejected Jesus after all this time and that is such an overwhelming despair, I think, that people feel. And so if I could give you just a tiny bit of encouragement in that dark, hard place, 
you know, Jesus told, I guess maybe the most famous story just about in the Bible is the story of the prodigal son. And if, what is that story about? It's about a kid who rejects his father. It's about a kid who turns away from his father, who doesn't want anything to do with his father. It's about a kid who wants so badly to get out from under his father that he runs away to a foreign land and there he betrays everything about his father. He does everything that his father said he shouldn't do and he doesn't do anything that his father said he should do and he spends his whole life dishonoring his father and living with pigs and eating with pigs and acting like a pig and then one day he comes home to his father and he finds out that in his father's eyes, even though he lived with pigs and even though he acted like a pig and even though he ate with pigs, in his father's eyes, he never became a pig. He was always his father's child. And I would encourage you, if your child or your grandchild or someone you love at some point in their life had a real salvation experience with Jesus, if they really became a child of God, even if they're living like pigs right now, they're not pigs. They're children of God. I think that's the reason Jesus told us that story. So we could understand that. The hard thing is, we may not get to see the results of that salvation here. So we hold on to hope. And you know, I think a lot of us are, are praying for people that are lost and we just keep praying for them and we just, God, please draw them, whack them in the head, send somebody, do something and get them to turn back to you. And it's like, I just don't see, it's, it's just not, it's not happening. I've been praying and watching and it's just not happening. I haven't seen one single shred of evidence. I have no reason to believe that they're ever gonna turn to God. But I just wanna encourage you a little bit to have hope. Because just the fact that you don't see that happening doesn't mean it's not gonna happen. Doesn't mean it hasn't already happened. You know, there's one person in the whole New Testament that I am absolutely positive is in heaven right now. Like Andrew, I, I'm pretty sure Andrew's in, right? Luke, probably good. Peter, iffy. Paul, Paul's in heaven, I mean probably, right? But there's one person in heaven for sure today from the New Testament and you know who that is? It's the thief on the cross. It's the guy that was crucified next to Jesus. And what evidence do we see of salvation in his life? Nothing. He didn't get baptized. He didn't give money to the church. He didn't sing in the choir. He didn't do good deeds. The only thing we know about him is that he was a criminal getting the death penalty. We don't have any shred of evidence. We don't have anything we can see in his life to make us think that he would be saved, that he would find eternity with Jesus, and yet we know that he was, and we know that he did. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, and it's not because of the way he lived, and it's not because of things people saw in him. It's because in a second, he called on Jesus. So just because you haven't seen it, doesn't mean it's not gonna happen. It doesn't mean it hasn't already happened. We wanna hold on to hope. We never wanna put God in a box of what's possible and what's impossible. So today's not about giving up hope. 
It's not about giving up on your miracle. Today's about how are we gonna survive and how are we gonna live what Jesus called an abundant life until the miracle comes? How are we gonna live a life of joy and peace and contentment and fulfillment and happiness even if we never get to see our miracle, even if we never get to see our trouble taken away? So I'm gonna ask you to take like a quiet second right now and just ask yourself this question, like what is your real trouble? In your life, what is your, what is your, not the slow internet, right? What is your real trouble? Is it a broken body? Is it a broken marriage? Is it a broken relationship, a broken family? Is it a broken heart? Is it an impossible circumstance? Is it a prodigal child? We wanna ask today, like, how can we survive? How can we keep going? How can we have this abundant, fulfilling, joyful life that Jesus talked about in real trouble, real trouble? And the answer is by his grace. Let me hear you repeat these words, by his grace. Yeah, we can survive and we can keep going and we can flourish and and thrive and even find joy even in this broken world with real trouble by the supernatural grace of God. Have you noticed that grace is a word that we don't use much outside of church? It's a really unusual word. Grace comes from a Greek word, charis, which I'm gonna tell you is maybe my favorite word in the New Testament. And it's a really interesting word. Sometimes it gets translated to be a gift And sometimes it gets translated to be grace, but it's used in like all different ways. In fact, Paul specifically uses it in a couple of different ways. Sometimes he uses charis or grace to describe the attitude or the love that God has for us that causes him to give us these good gifts. So like uh, Romans 3.24 says, in his grace, God has given us salvation. It's the attitude he has that makes him wanna give us gift. How many grandparents here? You know what I'm talking about, right? There's this, this attitude about us with our grandkids. There's this love that we feel for them that makes us want to buy them stuff. It makes us want to give them gifts. That's grace, right? It's an attitude that makes us want to give a gift. And in other times, the same word, charis, the gift, is, is grace, and it means the actual gift that he gives us, the actual like salvation or forgiveness or blessings or his spirit. John 1.16 says, from his abundance we have received one grace, one gift after another. So sometimes grace means the attitude that he gives the gift in. Sometimes grace means the actual gift. And sometimes grace, charis, is this supernatural power to overcome the supernatural power to endure impossible things. And Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 13, or 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Um, The thorn in the flesh, remember that story? Paul says, I have this thorn in my flesh. And we don't even know what it is. We don't even know, we know he hates it, but we don't know what it is. Some people think that it was the Roman government that was his thorn in the flesh. Some of you think our government is a thorn in your, pain in your, whatever. Some people think it was the Roman government because they kept throwing him in jail and they kept mistreating him and doing all these terrible things to him. Some people think his thorn in the flesh was the Jewish leaders. And there was two or three different times that they beat him so badly that they thought he was dead. 
So we don't know what this thorn is. Some people think that it was shame and guilt he felt for the stuff that he did before he really met Jesus. We don't know what the thorn was. Some people think that he was going blind and that was his thorn in the flesh. So we don't even know what his thorn in the flesh is, but I think we can say it was real trouble. And look what he says. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Maybe that sounds familiar to you, right? Three times I begged God. And each time, God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So God is saying to Paul, or maybe saying to us, I know you don't understand this. And I know you want me to remove your thorn. I know you want me to, to take your pain away. I know you want me to fix your circumstances, but I've got something even better for you. I'm gonna give you the power of my grace to get you through this. And look what Paul says, this is incredible. He says, so now I'm glad to talk about, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. I mean, this is a pretty amazing thing he's saying here. He's saying, I would rather have the power of Christ working through me than to have this trouble, this thorn removed. And I gotta say, I'm not sure I get that completely, but experiencing the power of Christ is an amazing thing. And Paul's pretty clear about that. In fact, one of the famous verses in the Bible, Philippians 4.13, remember that verse he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Everybody loves that verse. We've got it on coffee mugs and bumper stickers and t-shirts. That's everybody's favorite verse, right? I can do all things through Christ. And so, boy, we're running a marathon. I can do all things through, I'm gonna bench press 300 pounds. I can do all things. I'm gonna make that sale. I'm gonna lose that weight. I can do all things through Christ. It's really fun. And you should put that on a coffee cup if you don't have it. Um, but that's like so out of context of what he was really talking about. He wasn't talking about these incredible victories that he was having. In this passage, Paul is talking about how he has learned that he can be content in every circumstance. He can be happy when he's preaching. He can be happy when he's thrown in jail. He can be happy when he's rich. He can be happy when he's destitute. He can be happy when he's with his family and enjoying his life. And he can be happy and content and fulfilled when they are beating him to death. He can be happy when he's got food and he can be happy when he's hungry. How? How can he be happy and content in that real trouble? And his answer is through Christ as he gives me strength. So even if you're experiencing real trouble, you can keep going, and you can survive, and you can thrive, and you can flourish, and you can even have joy, but I'll give you a word of caution. Don't depend on your own wisdom to get there. Don't depend on your own power. Don't depend on your own strength. Depend on his grace. Depend on the power of Christ. And when your circumstances seem impossible, and when you just can't keep going on your own, when everything lets you down, when everything and everyone lets you down, he won't. He won't. He won't fail us. 
He's our firm foundation. The grace of God, the power of Christ empowers us to stand and to endure and to thrive and to flourish and to even find joy even in this broken world, even in real trouble. And if that's like where you find yourself today, if you are feeling trouble, if you need to experience his grace, I have two suggestions for you. Remember his promise and lean into his presence. And when I say remember his promise, I'm not talking about some prosperity gospel uh, stuff. This idea that, you know, if you follow the code, then God will immediately take away your trouble and he will give you whatever you want. Preachers have made a fortune selling the code. You know, all you gotta do, two or more gathered, right? Gotta lay on the hands, throw out the words in Jesus' name, right? And if you have enough faith, and if you give a big enough donation to this church, and if you buy our secret oil from Jerusalem, then it's like God has no choice, right? He's just gonna have to say yes. So you're praying, God, heal me, and God's gonna say, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that right now. My ways are higher than your ways, and I know you don't understand it, but I'm not gonna heal you right. Oh, you got the oil. Oh, well, <laughs> my hands are tied, right? <laughs> okay, you're healed now. It's <laughs> the absurdity of that when you say it like that, but that's, that's like what we've been fed a little bit. And you know what we keep saying? We're never gonna understand what the Bible says. And we're never gonna understand what the Bible really means unless we understand what the Bible really is. And what the Bible is not is a secret code book of things we can say or things we can do to make God do what we want him to do. If we're gonna stand on his promises, it's important for us to remember and understand what his promises are and what his promises are not. God can do miracles, God does do miracles, but his promise is not that he will do whatever we tell him to if we follow the code. He's God, I mean, let's not forget, right? He's, he's God and he loves us completely and he is completely powerful and nothing is impossible for him and every good gift we have comes from him, but he's God. He's not our like errand boy and this, this teaching is so harmful because look what it leads to. If we're taught this idea that when well, you follow the code, you do the thing, if you have enough faith, God's got no choice. If we, if, we, if we believe, look at the harm. You've seen it, you've experienced it probably. Look what comes from that, guilt, right? I, I don't know, I, 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 I guess I didn't follow the code right because my baby is still sick, right? Or doubt, you know, I don't know, maybe God's not able. Maybe God doesn't care that my life is a mess. You see where this teaching leads us to? It leads us to seeing that my ways are more important than his ways. Because this is me saying to God, I'm not really interested in your plans. What I need you to do is bless my plans. It leads to confusion. Because people have this idea, well the Bible says if I follow the code, God has to say yes. I followed the code, God didn't say yes, so what can that mean? 
Obviously, the Bible is garbage. And just like most heresy, the prosperity gospel starts with a little bit of truth. Because it's true, nothing is impossible with God. And he does love us perfectly. And he does want the best for us. And every good thing in this world is a gift from him. We can stand on those promises because those are biblical promises. But God's word doesn't promise that we'll always be healthy. God's word doesn't promise that we'll always be rich or popular or thin. It doesn't promise that we'll always have great relationships. It doesn't promise that we'll have no tragedy. That's, that's not the promise of the Bible. Um, Hebrews 11 is a really famous chapter in the New Testament, and a lot of people call it the Hall of Faith. And it's like, it's this list of these people with incredible faith and the amazing stuff that God did because of these people's faith. Um, I'll skip through part of it here, but verse 33, it says, by, it's talking about like Abraham and Moses and Samson and Gideon, these amazing people, right? By faith, it says, these people overthrew kingdoms They shut the mouth of lions. They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword and their weakness was turned to strength and they became strong in battle and they put whole armies to flight and women received their loved ones back again from the dead by faith. These people did these amazing things. But check out the fine print. But others were tortured refusing to turn from God in order to be set free, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. But none of them in this life received all that God had promised. Those are people of great faith. The Bible doesn't promise us, no matter how much faith we have, that we will not have real trouble. Jesus said we would have real trouble. The promise that we want to remember, the promise of the Bible is that it's not that we won't have trouble. The promise is that someday he will make all things new. And Romans 8 says that all creation is looking forward to that day. All creation, including us, is waiting eagerly for the day when he comes back and makes all things right and makes all things new. And I'll just tell you, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna have a whole message about heaven. And I'll give you a spoiler alert. Um, The biblical promise of heaven is not about us all becoming cute, cute, chubby babies and playing the harp and floating around on clouds. It's, it's way better than that. It's way, that's, that's pretty boring really. It, it's way, way better than that. It's all about God bringing back the perfect world that he created for Adam and Eve. And I think we have substituted what we want heaven to be. Oh, it's a perfect golf score. Oh, it's a big house. Oh, it's Gold Street. We've substituted that stuff because we can't fully wrap our minds around how amazing it is going to be when his kingdom comes. If you can even try to imagine a world not contaminated by sin and by evil and by death, it's it's hard to even picture a world where everything sick is made well 
and everything dead is alive, and everything lost is found, and everything broken is restored, and everything abandoned is redeemed, and everything, every loss is regained, and every evil is undone. And God is right there with us in person. That's the promise of the Bible, that we're gonna go through real trouble in this broken world, but we can hold on to this promise of a new heaven and a new earth, this, this perfect place where God's perfect people live under God's perfect rule and enjoy God's perfect blessing in God's presence. That's the promise. Meanwhile, we're gonna go through some real trouble, but we don't have to go through it in our own strength because remember, he gives us the power of his grace. And we don't have to go through it forever because we can remember his promise that someday he's gonna make all things new. And we don't have to go through it alone. We can, we can lean into his presence. And this is like, to me this is like so key. God, God is with us, even in trouble. God is with us and God is for us. His, his spirit is in us. And we can actually experience him even here and even now and even in real trouble. In fact, maybe especially in real trouble. I'll, I'll say for me, a lot of the times in my life that I felt the closest to Jesus, this probably isn't true about you because I know you guys are super holy in the early service. But like for the second service, and for me, a lot of times when I felt the most closeness with him wasn't times of great health blessings or great relationship blessings or great financial blessings. Most of the time I felt the closest to him was when I was in trouble. You ever felt that? Like you're in a crisis, you know, you're in this storm, you got no place else to turn, you got no place else to go, and the world's falling apart, and every, everything around you is failing, and everyone around you is leaving, and you had no place else to turn. So you turn to Jesus, and that's where you really experience the blessing of his presence. Not that he fixed the circumstance, but that he was with you in the circumstance. And there you saw that the greatest blessing was not what God could do for you. It was that God was with you. Sometimes the only thing better than him saying yes to our prayers is knowing that he is with us in the no. Because sometimes when we don't experience yes, when we don't experience healing, when we don't experience miracles, that's when we really experience Jesus. It's like we, we, we really see him there. It's like we, he really reveals who he really is in the know. And it reminds me of the story. Remember I told you, I'll tell you a story about when God sent his people into trouble. This is in uh, Matthew 14, you know the story. This, Jesus has been on tour with his disciples 
for a while now, and he's been going town to town. He's doing this incredible preaching, and he is doing miracles, miracles, miracles all the time, raising the dead, sick people are being healed, blind people are seeing, demon-possessed people are being set free. Everything's great, but the crowds are, like, wearing him out. So he gets on the boat, and he says, I'm just going to go across this lake, and on the other side, I'll have some, some peace and quiet. He gets off the boat onto this beach, and he's thinking it's going to be all quiet solitude there or whatever, and there are thousands of people waiting for him there from all the towns all around there. There's 5,000 men, so we don't know how many women and kids, so it's, it's like a ton of people. And Jesus, you know, he's exhausted, but he does this amazing teaching about the kingdom of heaven, and verse 14 says that he healed their sick, and the words that Matthew uses here kind of implies that he healed all of their sick. So this is, I don't know, 5,000 men? What do you think? Is, it, is this 15,000 people? Is this 20,000 people? There had to be thousands of sick people. And, and, and he heals all of them. And then he gives them this incredible supernatural teaching. And then he gives them all fish sandwiches. And it's just awesome. There's some miraculous stuff is going on. And the disciples are watching, right? They got a front row seat. They're picking up the scraps when it's all over, right? So the disciples saw this amazing teaching. They saw these incredible miracles. They saw this amazing stuff going on. Uh, and they got, like I said, they got the front row seat. And so now, like, it's getting dark. That was in the morning, I guess. Now they're teaching and doing miracles all day, and now it's getting dark. And so, you know, the disciples are picking up trash, and there's a bunch of food left over, and they're cleaning up the mess. And Jesus tells the disciples, you know what? I'll go back and dismiss the crowd. You guys get in a boat and go back across the lake. I'll meet you on the other side. So now it's the middle of the night, and they're out on this giant lake, and they're in this boat, you know, not a cruise ship, like a wood boat, right? And they're in the middle of this thing in the middle of the night, and it's dark, and this horrible storm blows in. And I mean, the boat is flipping all over the place, and water is coming in, and lightning is striking, and wind is blowing, and it's utter darkness except for the lightning. And I mean, it's like this, maybe it seemed like your circumstances right now, right? It's like, it's just, it's like hopeless. It's hopeless. If you can imagine like taking a bucket and bailing water and you throw out two gallons and 40 gallons come and hit you right in the face. If you can imagine being on a wooden boat in the middle of a storm and it's falling apart. And so like you're grabbing something to hold on to and it just breaks off in your hand. They, they're, they're, they think they're gonna die. They think they're gonna die and they're just dead. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And they look out across this crazy storm and they see Jesus walking on the water. And they, they think it's a ghost. They don't even know what it is. And finally, Peter says, oh, wait a minute. I think that's Jesus. And he calls out to him, Jesus, if that's you, then tell me to come walk on the water with you. And so Jesus says, yeah, come on. So Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water over to Jesus. And then at some point, he like thinks, oh my gosh, what is happening, <laughs> right? He kind of takes his eyes off of Jesus. He starts looking at the storm and he goes down. So Jesus you now fishes him up out of the water and he carries him over there like a wet dog and like throws him in the boat. Look what happens next. This is Matthew 14, 32. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him and they said, huh, I added that. And they said, huh, you really are the son of God. And every time I read that, I have to ask, who did they think he was on the beach? 
when he was doing this unbelievable teaching, when he was healing people and raising people from the dead, the miracle after miracle and amazing sermons and, and free snacks, and the disciples saw all of that. They saw all that, and they'd been seeing it for a while. They'd been seeing supernatural stuff from him for a long, long time. They must have at least kind of known who Jesus was that morning on the beach, but in the storm, when it was dark and chaotic and scary and black, when everything they depended on was falling apart, that's when they really saw who Jesus really was. Because in that hard, dark, scary place, when they saw his saving power, the power of his grace, when they saw his mercy, it's like in that place Jesus was fully revealed to him. And they weren't, they weren't hearing about him there. They weren't reading about him there. They weren't watching him from a distance there. They were experiencing him in the storm. And it's, it's interesting to me that the goodness and the power and the mercy of God was most clear to them, not on the beach, but in the storm. And I wonder if it's the same for us. And I wonder if, you know, we read great teaching from the Bible and maybe we even experience miracles once in a while. We, we kind of know him and we sort of experience him, but in real trouble when it's really dark and it's really hopeless and it's really scary when our world's breaking apart and when we have nothing else to hold on to, when we experience Jesus there, maybe it's somehow more real to us because we realize that no boat or no relationship or no job, no talent can save us. We just need Jesus, here, now, in the storm, with us, to lift us up, to get us through, to be with us, not, listen, not his words, and not just his miracles, just his presence. And if you find yourself in real trouble today, a broken relationship, a broken body, a broken career, if you're overcome with sadness or pain, and even if you're experiencing the despair of a child or somebody that you know is far from God right now, let's intentionally lean into his presence. Not the miracle, the miracle worker. Not the healing, the healer, not the provision, the provider. I'm not saying give up on your miracle, but the greatest miracle that you will ever experience is the presence of Jesus. The greatest miracle you will ever experience is when he really reveals to you who he really is, and sometimes he does that best in trouble. So here's what's gonna happen next. Um, we're gonna sing a couple of songs. The prayer team is in the back ready. If you want somebody to pray with you, they've been praying for you for weeks. They've been praying for you today. They'd love to pray with you in person. And I'm gonna pray here. And pray with me. Pray with me. Um, for your trouble 
or for the trouble of the people around you. I heard somebody say one time, if, you've, if you're not in real trouble right now, just keep on living, right? Because it's, it's coming. So let's, let's pray for miracles and for lives changed and for bodies healed and for relationships restored and hearts mended and prodigals returning. But let's also pray for the power of God's grace to get us through real trouble. And let's all, let's also thank him for the promise that he will someday make all things new. And as we sing these next couple of songs, let's lean in to his presence. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Jesus promised us that in this life, we would have trouble. In this world, we are gonna go through heartache and sadness and hard, hard things, but he also promised us that he would overcome the world. Or the, the book of Philippians in chapter four tells us that real peace comes, not when our circumstances get straightened out. Real peace happens for us. Supernatural peace happens for us when we pray instead of worry. That's when we experience your peace. So right now, God, we're just admitting that some of this trouble is too big for us, and it's just, it's too hard for us. And so we're praying for miracles. You're our Father and you love us and you're able. So we're not afraid to come to you and ask for your blessing and for your miracles and to change lives and to heal bodies and to fix broken relationships and to repair marriages and to restore prodigals and to mend hearts. But God, even as we're coming to you in this place, we're just like the, the three boys in the Old Testament that were thrown in the furnace that said, we know that you're able but even if you don't deliver us, Lord, our faith is still in you. So Lord, we wanna ask you not just for miracles, we wanna ask you for the power of your grace to get us through trouble. God, we wanna thank you for the promise that you've given us that someday you will make all things right. And God, right now, as we're singing these songs, will you just help us, especially those of us that are in trouble right now, to really experience your presence in your name. Amen. That gives me a great opportunity to say, you should come back for night of worship on Friday night. Uh, we're gonna be here at 6.30 on Friday night. We have limited childcare, so if you want childcare, you should register your kids like yesterday. Um, get your kids registered and join us for night of worship. Um, you know what, this week, let's operate under the assumption that everyone you meet is dealing with real trouble. And let's bear each other's burdens. Let's encourage one another. And let's remind each other of the power of his grace and the beauty of his promise. And together, let's lean into his presence. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Friday.